Want to come inside for a little while? Well, I wish you'd explain it to me sometime, Buster. Yeah, I suppose it would be better if I never opened my mouth. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today I've got another list of things that are different now than when I was a kid. I do that often because that's kind of the point of story time. I like to tell my stories and I like to talk about things that I've been through and things that I've experienced. One of the things about being an old guy is you go through a lot of changes. You see a lot of things happen. You see the world evolve around you. And you don't always notice it as it's happening. You don't notice it until you look back on it and go, Oh, wow. Look at all that stuff. Look at what's happened. So today we're going to be talking about some things that have happened in my life, some things that have changed, world views that have changed, world things that have changed. I mean, there's obvious things. Climate change is a big one. When I was a kid, nobody ever talked about it. It just wasn't a thing. It wasn't on anybody's radar. The first inkling I ever had about it was the ozone layer. We had to stop using fluorocarbons in our hairspray because it was ruining the ozone layer. And apparently we fixed it because it's not a big deal anymore. And supposedly the ozone has repaired itself from all the reports that I've read. But that was a big thing when I was a kid. When's the last time you heard anything about the ozone layer? It's because we fixed it. It's because we changed our behavior. We stopped using the things that were hurting the ozone, which suggests to me that we can fix climate change too if we decide to do it. But before I go down that road too far, that's not the point of the episode today. What actually got me thinking this week was a couple of things. The first was the price of gas, and I've talked about that a lot. As I record this, gasoline is well over $4 a gallon, which is ridiculous. And if you do any research at all, you can see it's spurred totally by the greed of the oil companies. It really has nothing to do with the political climate right now. Russia has attacked Ukraine. Supposedly, that's one of the motivating factors behind the increase in oil. It's not. The price for a barrel of oil now is about half what it was in 2008, and yet the gas prices now are higher than they were in 2008. I mean, it's all speculation. It's all stock market stuff. It's all about the rich getting richer at the expense of all of us poor peasants, as it's always been. But back to my point, the price of gas had me thinking this week, and I've talked about this before. The price of gas when I was a kid, and I vividly remember this for some weird reason, I think it's my obsession with cars, why it's always been stuck in my head. But I remember my mom buying gas for 33.9, 33.9 cents a gallon. I don't know why they did 0.9. They always do 0.9. Instead of calling gas 475 a gallon, it's 474.9. But I remember the price of gas when I was a kid, probably because of my obsession with cars. 33.9, that stuck in my head. And I remember my dad being outraged at having to spend 35.9 when the price of gas increased. I mean, think about that. At 35 cents a gallon, you would fill a 20-gallon tank for 7 bucks, assuming it was empty. 7 bucks doesn't even buy you 2 gallons of gas now. It's crazy. It's crazy, and yet it's typical of the way the oil industry has been all of my life. So I was thinking of gas prices this week, and just how much they've changed in my lifetime. And they've yo-yoed. As a little kid, I remember 33.9. I remember gas being 75 cents a gallon. I remember the first time it crested the dollar per gallon mark. I remember traveling to other countries and finding out how expensive it was in other countries. In other countries, they pay for it by the liter as opposed to by the gallon. And when you do the math, it's ridiculously expensive. So I was pondering gas prices this week and just thinking about how much they changed in my lifetime and how we're still beholding to the oil producing companies. 
The other thing I was thinking about this week was Dungeons and Dragons. Don't ask me why. I don't really know. It was just on my mind this week, partly because of the success of the Critical Role series. If you're not familiar with it, go look it up. But Dungeons and Dragons has become a mainstream thing. I mean, everybody plays it. Everybody talks about it. And nobody thinks twice about it. But when I was a kid, and when I was in college, Dungeons and Dragons was like a game put out by Satan. I did an episode about Dungeons and Dragons all the way back in season one. You can go look it up. And I wanted to talk about it briefly today because of the change in the view of Dungeons and Dragons in my lifetime. And I wanted to revisit some of that early commentary about D&D because it stuck in my head back then too. A game that I really enjoyed playing, some people were comparing to the Devil's Plaything. But before I get to that, I wanted to talk about some other things that have changed in my lifetime. And I do this a lot, and I know that I do. But as I sit down and think about these episodes, and as I write them out, these lists pop into my head. And so I start looking into these things and saying, oh yeah, that was a thing. And one memory triggers another memory, and so on and so on, and that's how I get these episodes. It really starts with the thought about, what has changed in my life since gas was 33.9? That's how I get the ball rolling, and all of a sudden I have this huge list of things that I go, oh yeah, I remember that. Like, I remember when they introduced the rating system for movies. I mean, I don't remember the day. But I remember as a little kid, I had never heard of anything like a G movie or an X movie. They were just movies. It was back in the late 60s or the early 70s that they finally adopted the Motion Picture Association of America rating system. Now, I had to look it up because I didn't remember what the original ratings were. I do know that it changed over the years. I remember when they came out with PG-13. PG-13 wasn't one of the original ratings. I was actually surprised to learn that there were originally only four ratings. G for general audiences. M for mature audiences. R, nobody under 17 admitted without a parent. And then X. We all know what the X-rated movies were. Eventually, the MPAA came out with PG and then PG-13, because four categories apparently wasn't enough. So you wound up having G, PG, PG-13, M, R, and X. By the way, when's the last time you saw an M movie? I don't even know if they still use the M designation anywhere, except maybe on TV. I do see M come up on TV, but I haven't seen an M movie, like, ever. But before that, there were no rated movies. Movies didn't have a letter rating, just like games didn't have a rating. Music didn't have a rating. There were no explicit lyrics, mostly because people didn't put out explicit lyrics in songs. But when they did, they adopted a rating system for it. But the rating system for games essentially evolved from the rating system for movies, and the rating system for lyrics, and the warning labels for explicit lyrics, also evolved from the same thought process. That listening to certain songs, playing certain games, viewing certain movies were bad for you. And they wanted to give parents guidance on which ones they should allow their kids to watch or listen to. There's no actual science behind that. But the rating system gives people plausible deniability. But that's a whole separate issue. Oh, and I don't know about you, but having an R rating made me want to go see a movie more. Oh, what do they got in there? What good stuff are they trying not to show me? But yeah, those rating systems are something that evolved in my lifetime. It's funny, as we've gone through the pandemic, I realized something else that evolved in my lifetime. And you've heard this, I'm sure, thrown about during the arguments, well, you can't make me get vaccinated. Well, we can make you wear motorcycle helmets and seatbelts. You don't seem to have too much of a problem with that. Except people did, and people still do. People still don't like to wear their seatbelts. People still don't like to wear their motorcycle helmets. People still don't like to wear their bicycle helmets. By the way, I never had a bicycle helmet as a kid. They weren't required. I'll come back to that in a minute. 
But seatbelts were a thing that were mandated by the federal government, but they weren't even required in all cars until the 60s. Think about that for a second. Before the 1960s, they didn't even require car manufacturers to include a seatbelt, never mind make the wearing of them mandatory. It wasn't until 1968 that the federal government required the inclusion of seatbelts in cars. And even then, you weren't required to wear it. The first state, New York, to require the wearing of a seatbelt while driving a car didn't happen until 1984. Now, 1984 doesn't seem that long ago until you do the math. It's almost 40 years. But nowadays, people just get in their car and put their seatbelts on. It's just what you do. It's mandated by the government, and we do it. Same thing if you drive a motorcycle and live in a state that requires a helmet. You just put it on. It's just what you do. You may not like the helmet, but you do it. Same thing with bicycle helmets. When I was a kid, there was no such thing as a bicycle helmet. Not only were they not mandated, they just didn't exist. We rode around on our bikes, wearing our shorts and t-shirts. If we happened to have a baseball cap, that was the maximum amount of head covering we had. Did we fall off our bikes and break our faces? Absolutely. It was part of growing up. That's what happened. But now you don't see kids riding without helmets. You don't see adults riding without helmets. It makes sense. I'm not complaining about it. I'm just pointing it out. In my lifetime, they weren't a thing at all. And now they're just an ordinary fact of life. Same thing with seatbelts. Just an ordinary fact of life. Here's another ordinary fact of life that we just put up with because we didn't know anything about it. And I don't mean this to sound flippant, but when I was a kid, skin cancer was an afterthought. Nobody really thought about skin cancer. Our mom sent us outside to play, took us to the beach, took us to the pool, let us go to our friend's house to swim. There was no sunblock. There was no sunscreen. There was no SPF. We didn't know anything about that, and my parents didn't know anything about that. It wasn't a thing. I mean, we had suntan oil. I remember that. I remember my dad complaining about suntan oil that smelled like coconut. He hated that. Uh, smells like coconut. Do we have to sit here? And that wasn't us using it. That was the people three campsites away on the beach. If they had coconut suntanning oil, my dad would move. Hated it. But the suntanning oil then was designed to increase the amount of tan you got. I don't remember there ever being an SPF on any of those suntan oils. There were bronzing oils, tanning oils. Some smelled like the beach. Some smelled like coconut. Some smelled like honey. I'm sure some smelled like Crisco. In fact, I know some people who used Crisco because they wanted to increase the tanning capability of the sun. Sunblock was not a thing. Skin cancer was unknown, at least to us common folk. We'd go out, run around all day, sit by the pool all day, sit on the beach all day. Never gave a second thought to sunblock or skin cancer. We just sat in the sun. It wasn't until 1978. I know, it seems like a long time ago, but it's in my lifetime. 1978 is when the FDA proposed the first sunscreen guidelines. They first mentioned the possibility, oh yeah, you might get cancer if you lie out in the sun, so maybe suntanning isn't that good for the skin. And nowadays, I'm as bad with it as anybody. I keep sunblock in the car. In the summertime, I don't go out without putting sunblock on. When I was a kid, never thought about it. Another thing I never thought about? Having to wear glasses. When I was a kid, it was the fourth grade. I remember it vividly. When I was a kid, I was having trouble seeing the chalkboard. Yes, back in the days when we used to use a chalkboard. You know, the blackboard with actual chalk on it. We don't do that anymore either. But I couldn't see it from the back of the room. So my mom took me to the eye doctor. And it turns out I needed glasses. And of course, I got a pair of glasses. And of course, they were ugly. Black plastic frames. Little rectangular lenses. 
Not quite the worst possible glasses you've ever seen, but quite close to them. And that's all I could wear for literally years. They did have contact lenses when I was a little kid. My mom actually got some of the first contact lenses, but these are contact lenses that were actually hard lenses. Nowadays, we have soft lenses. I remember my mom actually getting contact lenses that were little pieces of glass that you literally put on your eyeball. They were hard contact lenses. And if perchance your hard contact lens happened to pop out of your eye, you could literally break it by stepping on it if you couldn't find it first. Now, this was sometime in the 1970s. I don't remember when. I was a kid. I just remember mom having contact lenses, putting them on and going out. It was the first time I'd ever seen my mom do anything without her glasses. And she never looked right. Mom had glasses. Mom and contact lenses just didn't look right. But she wanted to try them and she did. But I remember they were hard contact lenses. Me, as a little kid, I couldn't wear hard contact lenses. It wasn't until years later that they actually invented soft contact lenses. And it wasn't until I got out on my own that I could actually go afford to buy soft contact lenses for myself. But as a little kid, I was stuck wearing those ugly, horn-rimmed black glasses just like so many other kids. Nobody really had the option to wear contact lenses, not as a kid. Kids wore glasses, period. End of story. And, of course, we got picked on for wearing glasses because it made you look different. Nowadays, glasses are a fashion accessory. Not only do people not mind wearing glasses, they like to have three or four pairs of glasses. Different frames, different colors, some with the transition lenses that change when you go outside, which I also like, by the way, I think they're pretty cool. But I don't wear glasses, generally. I wear contact lenses. But these days, glasses are so accepted and so much a part of somebody's wardrobe, people actually wear glasses with clear lenses because they like the look of glasses. It's okay to make a fashion statement wearing glasses, even if you don't need glasses. When I was a kid, you didn't want to wear glasses even if you had to wear glasses. You just felt dorky, and everybody made you feel dorky when you wore them. Something else that's a pretty new innovation these days, and I say new, meaning the past 20 or 30 years, it certainly wasn't around when I was a kid, and that's the concept of childproofing. When I was a kid, once you graduated from the playpen, mom and dad would put you out and you'd walk around or crawl around on the floor and the whole house was open season. You could do whatever you wanted. That's why parents had to be watching you or at least teaching you not to be an idiot because there was no child proofing. There were no little caps for the electrical outlets. There were no plastic covers for the corners of your cupboards. There were no little locks to keep you from pulling open a drawer in the kitchen. There were no child proof bottles for medicine or for cleaning products. Basically, what your parents did was tell you, no, don't touch that. No, don't play with that. No, don't put that bobby pin in the electrical outlet. No, don't put those marbles in your mouth. That was childproofing when I was a kid. And it didn't always work because one of my earliest memories, and I think I've talked about this, one of my earliest memories, and I'm sure it's stuck in my head because of what happened, is taking one of my mom's bobby pins and putting it in the electrical outlet. If you know anything about bobby pins, it's those little metal things that women slide into their hair to hold it into place. Well, the key word there is metal. And if you're a little kid with a little bit of strength, which is what I was and what I had, you can open a bobby pin. There's two prongs to it and you can pull it open. And if you know anything about electrical outlets, if you open the bobby pins just enough, you can slide both prongs into an electrical outlet. Now, I'm not saying I was the brightest kid in the world. I obviously wasn't, because I could figure out that you could open the bobby pin. I could figure out you could fit it into the electrical outlet. I just couldn't figure out the part where you're not supposed to do that. Now, I'm sure my mother told me somewhere along the line, don't do that, but maybe not. Maybe she didn't realize that a little kid could figure out how to pry open a bobby pin and take the pried open bobby pin and fit it into an electrical outlet. Maybe she never thought that. 
Maybe she didn't think her kid would be dumb enough to think that. But I was. And I did. And I remember. I don't remember the exact details of what happened after that. I just remember doing it. It was probably wiped from my memory. The shock probably gave me amnesia. But my point is, there was no childproofing back then. The childproofing was mom and dad saying, don't do that. Or, in my case, learning from experience. Ah, bobby pins and electrical outlets? Not a good combination. But yeah, we opened drawers, we opened cabinets. We would take the pans out of the kitchen cupboard because they made a great noise if you banged them together until mom said, put those pans back. Those are not toys. Nowadays, you can get little latches so that you can't open the cupboards. You can get little stops to make sure the drawers don't pull all the way out. Because as little kids, of course, we would pull the drawer out as far as we could. And if there wasn't a stop in the drawer, oh well. So these are just some of the things that came to my head as I started thinking about gas prices and Dungeons and Dragons this week. As I said at the beginning, I don't know why I started thinking about Dungeons and Dragons again this week. I mean, it's becoming more and more popular, more and more people play. It's far more mainstream than it ever was when I was a kid. But I didn't start playing Dungeons and Dragons till I was in college. And even then, it was against my mother's better judgment. Back in the 80s, there was something called the Satanic Panic. All the conservative religious groups, primarily the Christian religious groups, were super concerned that Dungeons and Dragons was nothing more than a recruiting device for Satanists and pagan cults. D&D was a gateway to witchcraft. There was sadism and murder. There was rape and highway robbery. There was killing and torture and the acquisition of wealth purely for the sake of acquiring wealth all throughout the Dungeons and Dragons worlds. D&D taught you that there was no right or wrong. There was no morality. You did what you had to do, no matter what. Dungeons and Dragons put you into degrading situations. You had to deal with sexual situations and interspecies relationships. You were taught to worship not one god, but multiple deities, and you got to pick your deity. Devils and demons were in the game, and people playing it were taught about people like Asmodeus. And they learned about demonology and summoning critters from other realms. Critters is my word, by the way. People died or committed suicide after playing Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, yeah, it was very real. The satanic panic was very real. There were people who were so opposed to Dungeons and Dragons and kids getting involved with it. This fantasy role-playing thing was just seen as a bad thing. It invited children to go down these dark paths from which they would never recover. And there was a movement to stamp out Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, some thought it was going to be a passing fad and it would disappear. But here we are 50 years later, Dungeons and Dragons is still going strong. Not only is it still going strong, it's an accepted mainstream entertainment activity. And for good reason. It's fun. I knew this back then. As a player, as a dungeon master, that's what we called them back then, they're game masters now. But I was a DM, a dungeon master. Dungeons and Dragons brought out my creative side. It brought out my storytelling. I had to create worlds and I had to create characters that all of my players would be entertained by and want to keep playing with as our D&D sessions progressed. And when I was a player and the players that I played with, we all had to be creative in our character creation and in our character interactions with each other in this fantasy world we had created, but also in the adventures that whoever the dungeon master was, whether it was me or somebody else, we had to be creative in how we approached these dungeons And it's not all dungeons, it's villages, it's towns, it's cities. We created political intrigue. We created social problems that the gang had to solve. Sometimes it involved raiding a dungeon. Sometimes it involved raiding another kingdom. But the dungeon master, if it was me or somebody else, would create these problems and the players would have to solve them. 
So Dungeons and Dragons, when I was a kid, and to this day, is a social exercise for sure. But it's a creative exercise. It's an exercise in critical thinking. It's an exercise in problem solving. And when you're working in a world that's populated with gnomes and elves and dwarves and humans, all with their own backstory, all with their own history, all with their own lore, all having to get along together, it teaches you how to get along. It teaches you how to look past the limitations of whatever species you choose to be in order to further the goals of the group. And that's the thing about Dungeons & Dragons. It's always been that way. It hasn't changed. When I was playing it 30 years ago, it was the same. It just wasn't as accepted then as it is now. I think it's a great thing. I think it's great that D&D has mainstreamed. I think if you can get into a game, it's a great opportunity to flex those creative muscles, to flex your imagination, to interact with other people in ways that you wouldn't otherwise do it. And I'm glad that the view of D&D has changed over the years. I'm just a little sad that I missed out on being part of the mainstream. But I guess there's something to be said for being a nerdy outcast as well. As I was preparing this episode, I did create a long list of things that have changed, and I thought with all the episodes that I've done so far that I'd hit on all of these things, except that I haven't. I haven't even come close. A lot has happened in my lifetime, and I don't mind sharing it with you here, and that's what we do. And I really do appreciate you listening to me share these stories. That's what story time is all about. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for being here. As always, I appreciate your support, and I can't thank you enough for all the time that you spend here. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves, and I'll see you when I see you.